Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Return of the Roar podcast. My name is Chris Watkins, not sitting in front of me, sitting virtually across from me, Frankie Cardicelli. Frankie, how are you doing? I'm okay. Doing well. Uh, it's not 110 degrees anymore. I was just looking at you, Chris, uh, and you're sitting outside. It looks very beautiful and it is. cool. And our guest, Brendan, is here in a nice shaded area as well. Brendan Nunez, uh, host of the King's Pulse podcast, also does some uh, writing for the King's Herald. Brendan, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. And I'm uh, gladly posted up inside right now. Yeah, yeah. We, can't all, we can't all be Chris up there. I see the water reflecting yeah. off the wall with the pond. You're living <laughs> yeah, a very lavish lifestyle over there, man. Yeah, well, we're recording this one uh, via Skype, so you know y'all can see me. I wanted to make sure I have some some good glow, you know, good good aesthetic. Yeah, yes. Well, uh, let's uh, let's get into it, uh, Brendan. You have uh, been writing quite a bit about uh, all the potential prospects that could go at number nine for the Sacramento Kings. Uh, first off, how many years have you been covering the Kings, really? Um, for those who who haven't heard you before. Um, it's probably only been since Fox's rookie year, actually. I um, grew up in the Bay Area, so I was around the Warriors a lot, but uh, my family had split choices on teams. So when I was younger in 08, I jumped on the Celtics bandwagon, and I got a lot of crap when I first tried to come into Kings Media about being a Celtics fan. But since I moved to Sacramento probably about uh, two and a half years ago, and when I knew I was going to make that decision right around the time that Fox was a rookie, I really started following the team. And uh, just being out here, it was hard to kind of not fall in love with the fan base and everything like that. So not as long as uh, some other people for sure. But since I moved out here, I definitely fell for it. And yeah, and uh, I'm enjoying it still. Maybe they'll break me at some point. Everybody tells me that's going to happen. Oh man, you're 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 still you're still it's it's you're in a good spot still. You're in that like um you know maybe they could and they, maybe they could. We're all hoping the same thing. You are it's only been 15 years for us, but uh, that's quite a turn though. I say some optimistic thing in the Kings Herald chat and they're all like, yeah, you're too new to this. Yeah, no bro, good yeah. Things you must not know. Yeah. <laughs> so what is that like going from the literally the polar opposite spe- of, of the spectrum of the Celtics and the Lakers literally have like split the entire NBA championships like they have, I think. But like like 34, I 35. I can't yeah. even put a number to it. Uh, what is it like rooting for the Celtics, but then also experiencing what we have over here where, you know, obviously it's uh, things aren't all peachy. Yeah, there was a good little stretch for the Celtics, which I guess I shouldn't say good little stretch when we're talking in comparison to the Kings. But there was like four years or so where they were really down there, you know. Um, so it's not like I had never tasted it before or anything yeah, like for that. Sure. But um, really, I just kind of found myself in the offseason turning towards the draft and found a lot of enjoyment in that, um, which I'm sure hopefully I'd rather be talking about guys in the late 20s rather than the yeah. middle, middle of the lottery every year. Um, but I think that's fun in just watching player development. And I, I think I find my optimism and hope in knowing that things just turn around so quickly for teams um, in the league. Like obviously you see with Phoenix, I think Golden State was an example earlier. Um, they were horrible for a long time. You know, I think teams can turn it around really quickly. And um, that's where I, I find some of my optimism here. So, yeah, like even like the OG uh, team of turning things around at the drop of a hat. I was San Antonio back with the Spurs and Tim Duncan. Like there's there are stories of them out there. And uh, you've gotten to see a couple of them over the last couple of years, like you said, with with 
Boston, Phoenix, uh, even Atlanta's turned it around pretty quick. So yeah. I think we're all kind of just waiting and hoping uh, maybe this draft and last draft combined could be the turning point with the nine pick this year and last year of Tyrese. Uh, mm-hmm. But here we are decision time again. And uh, I don't think anyone really knows what the Kings are going to do at nine, which is why it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year is kind of similar though. No one really knew what the Kings were going to do at, at 12 either. Like it was, I don't think Tyrese Halliburton was on anyone's radar. So I'm just kind of interested to look at the options this season. And I've read a couple of things that you've put out. I've read a couple of things that, you know, everyone seems to have, they're pretty split three, four ways right now. Kind of today, June 12th, King's ninth pick. How are you feeling? What kind of direction are you, are you shifting towards that you want the Kings to move? You know, I I would really like an upside swing, but I don't think the team does it. I I think, you know, like these really risky players that could potentially be stars and return top five, top six value in this draft. Like I think of like Zaire Williams, right? It's the primary one that comes to mind there. Um, I I think because the team needs another star, but I think it's kind of risky to do that at nine. Um, And I think there's some guys that project as like high end role players and potentially could exceed that a little bit. And um, Franz Wagner and Moses Moody are like, my clear one and two there, I think, assuming nobody outside of the top six falls. Um, I think both of those guys are going to be ready to contribute at least a decent amount early on in their career. I think they'll be able to break into the rotation. And I I don't think that, you know, you're talking an all-star with either one of them, unless you reach 95th percentile outcome sort of thing. Um, But role players who are impact um, impact makers and playmakers on the defensive end of the floor, I think is really important for this Kings roster. And then they're just complimentary on offense. Um, and I, I get that there's, you know, sexier picks, but I, I think that playing it safe with those two guys while, you know, the Kings need wing depth, it's just always been something that they've lacked and they're great compliments to the guys that you should be trying to magnify in Fox and Halliburton. So that's where I really stand at nine right now is uh, Moody one and Wagner second. And I think there's a good chance that at least one of those guys is on the board. Yeah, I've, I've really grown to, to love both of those two's game. Um, I think I totally agree with what you said. I think what the Kings, it's, it's probably not the sexy thing to do, but I think the Kings should definitely look for more of a, a role type player um, in that pick. And I think for me, Wagner has been the guy that, that I can really, you can really just watch his game and see how he's, he would perfectly fit into the lineup. I mean, he, he's just such a smart basketball player and the things that he does um, really, really excite would excite me. And also Moses, I mean, his versatility, his ability to shoot um, his long wingspan is really exciting for his defensive potential. Um, I, I like what they can do at nine, but also the problem with being at nine, like Frankie kind of alluded to in the beginning is you're not entirely sure who's going to be there. And there is uh, a lot of, not so much for Franz Wagner, but definitely for Moses Moody. I've heard he can go, you know, as high as six or seven. Um, so you're kind of at mercy at, at what's going to fall to you at the pick. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, basically the way I kind of see it is, if one of, of Wagner and Moody are on the board, I don't see a way you, you pass them up. I mean, it just depends on who falls. I, I don't know how high the team is on, on Scotty Barnes or, or other players of that kind of caliber. It's just kind of what would it take a, like a Tyrese Halliburton type of fall or any player is going to fall. It doesn't seem that way. Uh, but then again, you never know until draft day. I don't think anyone had Tyrese Halliburton falling from, I think he was fourth or fifth in most mock drafts to twelve. Uh, you could see a scenario where someone falls in the Kings. Cause I think Monty said it last year. 
I'm going to pick the best player available at that position. It doesn't matter who I know we drafted a guard last year. Didn't really need a guard, uh, which kind of scared me at first when he said that on draft night, because I thought back to how Vladi drafted Willie and how he said we can never have too many, too much talent up front. I don't know. I don't want to spiral. But basically, I think one of Moody or Wagner will be the pick. That's just my general consensus on today, which is July 12th. Who knows? Um, Brendan, I'm kind of curious to think, because we talked about it last week and pretty much the last couple of weeks, really. But is there any scenario where the team moves the pick? Do you think that is even on their radar? Or do you, what do you think it would take for the team to make that move? Because I, I truly feel that it won't happen unless they package it with someone like Buddy or Marvin. I just don't really see them just moving unless they were to trade down. I know that OKC is a couple of picks that might be kind of intriguing. But do you think that's even an option at this point or are they just sticking with nine? I think like some people, if you're talking about just trading down, think nine for 16 and 18 is interesting. And I think that that's something that like I wouldn't feel comfortable having an opinion on until I saw how the draft shook out. Um, But I think that's reasonable, I guess. I like doubt it happens. Um, But I think from everything that Monty said and like the system he comes from in in Houston and you're seeing Rosas do the same thing like they and Maury obviously as well, like they look to trade. And I think he's he talked about last year looking for a lot of value deals. So I, I think that the ninth pick is totally available. It's just about what other talent around the league is feasible to uh, obtain. Right. Like I, I always like the idea of Miles Turner. Um, I, I think obviously if if there's something you can do for Ben Simmons, I know people are scared with that. But like the talent's undeniable. I think you tr- go and try and do that. Pascal Siakam. Um, but I, I think there's a good chance that none of those guys are really obtainable or if they are that the Kings can provide the best package to get them. Um, I think that, you know, combining Buddy or Bagley with the ninth pick, like doesn't really add much to it in my mind. Cause I don't think either one of those guys have really like particularly positive value. I, I think Buddy might be a negative. Um, so I think that, um, and you know, some teams probably think that they can get more production than he's gotten in Sacramento. Understandably. Um, I, I think you'd have to like package Barnes with it in a future first or something like that. If you were really looking to take a swing, but you know, maybe there's something in like a, what Colin Sexton, Deshante Murray, like there's these type of guys that come out you know, to come out to be available, um, throughout the off season. And I don't particularly love the fit of either one of those, but I think there's those level of talent guys that maybe something like that happens for pick nine. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think new Orleans has been rumored to be trying to move their pick at 10 as well. So it'd probably be a competitive market. If one of these guys does become available. I'm curious, something I've seen pop up, uh, in the past couple of weeks and I don't really think it's it's really much of a possibility or makes a ton of sense for uh, for Monty McNair to do. But do you guys see any possibility or even real value in the Kings potentially? I, I think I've, I've seen people say that they would like to see them acquire a second top 10 pick. I don't know if that's really going to be possible without, you know, without moving the nine, but would you like to see them potentially move up in the draft? That's not really something I've given much thought to. I don't think there's any prospect out there um, that, you know, is so tantalizing that you, you feel like he, he can definitely upgrade your franchise overnight. Um, but how do you guys feel? I mean, if it's not in the top four, I, I mean, I think anywhere outside of the top four, like, yeah, I'd love to hypothetically, but again, like we talked about, what would it take? Like, what, what would that take to move up yeah, exactly. and, and grab one of those? I, I think it would, I it just would don't take, think they have 
I don't think they have the tools really. Well, last week we kind of mentioned too about uh, with Matt uh, just what like leveraging the future, like uh, those, those deals you Mm -hmm. see where people, and again, for even a player like Siakam or, or those guys that are, that are all-star type of talents, the Kings are going to have to offer two, three, maybe even more future first round picks for an all-star type of talent. And even to trade up, it might take a a deal like that because what do the Kings have other than future picks and the fact that they're so bad that would be intriguing to other teams. There's not many other aspects that people would be interested in. So I don't think there's any possibility if they wanted to move up, they could unless they were to leverage their future by dealing future first for a first this year. Uh, Brennan, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I don't see other way they can even move up above nine, really, unless they took some kind of deal like that. That's just, I don't know. Yeah, I think like they could move to like seven or eight if they wanted, but I don't think it really makes that much of a difference when it comes to the talent, unless like they know they're really competing with, say, like Moody at eight, I think is maybe reasonable or something like that. Um, And I don't think it would take all too much. You know, it could just be Orlando, like knowing what Sacramento wants or something like that. And it's just like, just give us Bagley and we move up or something like I actually don't think that's too crazy because it's not that much of a difference between the guys in eight and nine. Um, but like, that's the most I see, I think for the reasons you mentioned, like it would just take so much to move up to even like five or six. Um, and I don't think that, uh, I, I just don't think that it's the most reasonable thing for Sacramento in their position. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I definitely agree. Totally agree. Uh, we, yeah. we've had enough of those, uh, those dump deals and, and they haven't. Yeah. I, you don't even mentioning that, that us doing that, you know, Orlando knows what we want. And so we trade that just instantly PTSD Jimmer for dead trade, <laughs> like just so quick. That's where my mind goes. I'm like, Oh great. Yeah. You mean like trading Jimmer for John Salmons? Well, we got John Salmons. We got John Salmons <laughs> that deal, man. That was, that was fun. No. Yeah. No, yeah. no. Yeah. Is that I mean, number five really- John Salmons or 15 John Salmons? That was number five. You know, I think that was five. Yeah. I think so. That's irrelevant. Sorry, Brandon. What you got? Is there anybody that you guys really dislike at nine? Oh, man. Cause there, I mean, I think there's like eight plus yeah. guys that they consider, yeah. there, you know? Yeah. I, I think the, the ones that don't make me, if, if they take a guy, I, we talked about it last week, a little bit like a Keon Johnson or like a, um, uh, a, uh, the, the, is it Jalen Johnson from Duke? Yeah. Or I'm sorry. Is it? Uh, yeah. Are they both Johnson? Am I right? Yeah. Jalen Johnson. Yeah. yeah. There's a yeah. lot of Johnsons. Yeah. A lot of Jalen's Johnson. <laughs> yes. Um, it's it's yeah. a Jalen heavy draft. E- either of those two. I mean, really uh, just any guy that seems like the Kings would really need to develop and doesn't really have much skill, but um, seems like a raw athlete. I'm kind of off those guys. I don't really, it's just the Kings don't have a track record of being able to develop that kind of talent. Um, and I'm just kind of willing to, to chalk those off as it's fine. That wouldn't have worked out here anyway. Frankie, yeah, do you Brent, feel- how, do you, how, how do you feel? Didn't I see, I think you said you were, you were defending a, a Keon Johnson pick. I think you're, are you on board with the Keon Johnson? Oh pick no. Yeah. Sorry. If that's how that tweet came out, I need to delete that. I do not like Keon Johnson. <laughs> I was like, I was like, are you, are you, was no, that tongue no, no. in cheek? Yeah, that would, that, I do not like Keon Johnson. And I feel like he's mocked the Kings at nine so often that every mock I see. Yeah. Every yeah. mock I see like high Jones man. and it's just, yeah. it's crazy. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, I don't even give those like, if, if those are the times where I consider like, I'll just not watch like there's, yeah. that's not going to happen. I'm Kai sorry. Jones is like, if I had to consider a big, I would, but I, I mean, there's so many wings. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I agree. I don't necessarily think Kai Jones isn't a good prospect, but it's just, yeah, I think the team needs so much more. And um, yeah, that just wouldn't really make sense to me. How do you feel on that note? That makes me think of, uh, I've seen a, a lot of Kings Herald people are very high on Alpern. Um, I'm not sure how to, is it Sengun? Yeah. Alpern Shengun. Okay. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people are very high on him. I watch his tape and I don't particularly see anything that's that blows, you know, that stands off, stands out on the screen. Um, I've heard a lot of Nikola Jokic comparisons, which maybe that means he just is very raw and could be something yeah. else that he just isn't right now. But uh, how do you feel about Alpern? Yeah, I think um, Sabonis is a really popular comp for him, too. I, I think it's just like kind of undeniable production in what a lot of people are saying is the third best league in the world. Um, and he was the MVP of that league only at 18 years old when he wasn't really expected to produce anywhere close to that level. Um, so I, I think the numbers he was putting up and while he's also just being super efficient in doing that, it's kind of just hard to ignore. Um, but for me, you know, and it was 64% from the field, he didn't really shoot many threes, but I think the 81% from the line and, um, he just wasn't, that wasn't his game. He did a lot of back to the basket stuff. So I do buy him as a three point shooter. Um, but I worry about a guy whose main play type is just back to the basket. And especially when you're talking to someone that's six, nine, rather than some overpowering seven footer. Um, he has great footwork and patience, you know, but like, I feel like you just have to play at such a high level in that post to warrant that many play calls of that type in today's league, especially when you're talking about alongside um, two great playmakers and coordinators of the offense in Fox and Halliburton. So um, it scares me and it would give you another layer, you know, like if he can warrant double teams, he's a great passer. I think that's why you see the Sabonis comps. And I think Jokic, we should calm down a little bit. Yes, please. Um, but I, you know, I, I see the potential for sure. Like I, I do see an all-star offensive level player because he's so efficient and patient, but I worry that I, I think that's a possibility, but it's a really high end outcome that I don't really buy happening personally, um, because I think he's going to struggle to adjust to the physicality of the NBA when it comes to like, I, I get he was playing against good NBA players or ex NBA players in that league. A lot of them were kind of guards and wings rather than big men. He was really going up against. Um, he, he really scares me. I, I think that if he can't post up and at a high level in the NBA that you kind of have like an Al Horford on offense which is cool. Like that's, that's a good connecting piece, but the good part about Horford was that he was such a high level defender. Right. Um, and I, I think this is kind of like where I differ a little bit. Some people see the upside of Shingun as a defender. And I think like when he's already in the paint that he does a good job defending it. But if you get him in space, like he's screwed, I, I kind of feel like in these playoff games that he played and right now he's playing um, in the FIBA tournament as well, that he's, they're opposing teams are attacking him like every single possession. And I think it ends up well, most of the time. Um, so I'm really low on his defense. And I think like when you're talking a mm -hmm. five or even a four, I guess, I mean, he would, I, I think he would get screwed trying to defend fours on the perimeter. Um, I, I mean, I, I like defense in general when I'm watching basketball and I've been deprived of that. So that makes me definitely stay away from this a little <laughs> bit with the Kings at nine. Yeah. I definitely agree. does that put does that put more pressure on the Kings to like take a proven defender at nine though because like the like the concerns you talked about is it should players like that like not even be on Monty's radar at all because 
the, the defense, as we know, was like historically bad. It was like, I think statistically the worst defensive season the team's ever had. I, I think, uh, does that mean just you look at a player like Franz, is he just the, like, I know there was like that kind of report that was not really a report. It was just some guy just, I think throwing out, just trying to cause a rumor oh, to yeah. saying the Kings promised him, uh, should he be the guy like should Franz Wagner be the guy because of his defense uh, tendencies or is there just, I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking about if there is a favorite that should be the clear cut front runner. I know we talk about Moses and Franz, but is Franz just the guy that the Kings should be wanting more so than anyone else right now? Um, I have Moody ahead of him because I think Moody is going to be more impactful on the offensive end of the floor, which when it comes down to it is where a lot of value is in today's league. Um, Franz is a little bit passive on that end. And I think that's something that the Kings weirdly suffered from a little bit on their roster last season, um, at least in the starting five. But I think that, you know, like they just need to not be bringing in guys that are going to be negatives on the defensive end of the floor, right? Like I think when your core is Fox and Halliburton, that you can build a good defense around them, that you can be a good defensive team with that core, right? But if you add in a guy that, and you know, maybe I'm wrong about Shingun, he's not a negative defender, but I'll use him as an example on this point. I think like if you add that guy in, then does adding two other good defenders around that, like can you even really get to a decent defense, you know? Mm -hmm. So I I think they just need to not be negatives on the defensive end of the floor. And I'd like them to, you know, that primarily, I would sacrifice some offensive production for a better defensive player. Um, Mm -hmm. Think like a Robert Covington sort of for Wagner sort of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, I, I do think like the defense needs to be taken into consideration just to the point of like, they can't be, a negative in the league, like a clear negative, slightly yeah. sure, but they can't be, you know, someone that gets attacked. I don't think. And that's where I fall off on. And I think I've seen him starting to fall down draft boards, but for a while it was seeming like Cody Kesper Kispert was going to go in, in around the, uh, the number nine range. And for me, the, his, yes, his offensive potential is, is exciting, but also on the defensive end, I just, I just don't see him uh, being serviceable. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, no, thank you on Corey Kispert. No, thanks. Uh, one guy I didn't see that was kind of today. I mean, he's the player I'm seeing a lot of people talk about today is, is James Booknight. Um, I've, I've watched some of his game at UConn. I, I saw him last season and he he's a guy that seems like he's a freak athlete and uh, the shot doesn't seem like it's all the way there. I don't know if you guys have seen his game at all or how you feel about that, but I don't I don't think he should be on the Kings radars. He can't even shoot 30% in college. Uh, I just, I've been seeing people talk about that one today. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this game at all, um, but I, I don't see, I know he's an athlete and I love having athletes in the roster, uh, but it just doesn't really do it for me. Yeah. I think that, you know, there's a, I mean, I'm going to have him seven on my board. So really, I, yeah, I think okay. book Knight's really talented. Um, I, I think like the flashes on offense were, really serious and kind of hard to ignore for me. Um, and I, I think that he's like an average defender in the league with the athleticism he has there. Um, and you know, everything that's coming out is he shot really well at the combine. Right. I think the, my favorite quote from the piece was, uh, he shot the piss out the ball. Um, whatever that means. <laughs> Analysis. But, uh, yeah, exactly. So, um, but you know, I, I think like the free throw indicators are good for him when it comes to shooting. He shot well his first year. I, I think that like it was just night and day when he was playing for that UConn team compared to when he wasn't. Um, 
So like I get the playmaking concerns, um, but I think like he'll move the ball well enough that he won't be a ball stopper. Like I think he'll try to do his play, but then we'll just move on from it. If this first couple moves doesn't do anything. Um, like I, I think there's a really high level score. He works well without the ball. And I think he's like a passable defender. So I, I think like that the offensive upside is serious enough for me that even if he is streaky, mm-hmm. um, that, I, I think you're talking about a pretty high level scorer here, like a guy that I could could see averaging 20 in the league. And I don't necessarily know that like that's the most likely to be an efficient 20, but I think averaging 20 is something that's like just super valuable in today's mm-hmm. NBA. You know? well, well, honestly, I mean, I screw my draft analysis though. Cause I wanted T Rob. Uh, I also, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not even going to get into the, the, the Luca Bagley stuff. I mean, you're the guy that you look at this, much more than we do. So let me ask you this. Then if, if book Knight falls to nine, is he one of those guys we talked about that? If he falls to nine, do you take him? I think that there's enough other guys to me in the same sort of tier um, that I, I would like if Wagner or Moody are there, I'm taking book Knight over him. And I think mm-hmm. there's at least one other guy. Like, I think there's an argument for Jalen Johnson, which uh, Wasserman just went on a podcast um, that came out either last night or today and said, he thinks Jalen Johnson falls outside of the top 10. He also said, by the way, that Wagner is listed at um, six. What is he? He's listed at six, nine, but he hears he's like six, 11. That's intriguing to me. That's very interesting. interesting. Um, So I think if Wagner or Moody are there that like, I'm not really considering book night, but if those guys are somehow the picks of seven and eight, which is like, I, I think something that I would really consider if I was those two teams, even though it doesn't seem like from everything coming out that that's too likely to happen, um, that it kind of would be hard to not consider book night and just to like replace buddy Heald's role um, and be a competent defender there as well. So I don't love the fit, but I do think the talent's really there and he's probably going to be about, 10th or so on my Kings big board. So I'm pretty confident there's going to be like somebody else there that I prefer over him still. Gotcha. Brendan, uh, where in your, uh, your big board is, would you say you have the biggest discrepancies where, where do you see, or even on draft night, do you see somebody potentially, uh, rising high and, uh, and on the opposite end of the spectrum, someone falling, um, that we expect to see go high. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it seems like, I don't know, there's a lot of guys that I feel like I'm going to end up thinking went too low. Like, <laughs> I, I think Zaire Williams is really interesting there. Yes, I think Jaden Springer is a guy that I think is probably going to, should have felt should like he should have gone higher. I think like Usman Garuba is the youngest starter in Real Madrid history, like the EuroLeague. <laughs> I know we talked about Turkey earlier, but watching the difference between those two leagues is still night and day. You know, the gap between the second yeah. and third best league is crazy. Um, so for him to be a high level defender in that league, I, I think is really intriguing. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, Keon Johnson will probably go too high for my liking. Mm-hmm. I think he's just really raw. Um, and I, I don't see the crazy upside. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that there's a good chance that enough guys slip down the board a little bit that moving from nine to 16 and 18 is more intriguing than I thought it would be earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about Davion Mitchell? <laughs> he seems to be a, a pretty divisive person who pretty polarizing, again, man. like could yeah. go as high as seven to the warriors. I've seen a lot, or, you know, a lot of people feel like, you know, his, his game just isn't going to translate. Um, and you know, wouldn't take him in the lottery. Yeah. I think that he 
is a lottery guy, but I think it's mm-hmm. more like late mid lottery sort of thing. Um, I, I do kind of buy the defense, you know, I, I think it's an outlier, I guess, like Patrick Beverly is right with the size that he has or Chris Paul being a good defender. Um, and obviously those guys or Paul specifically does so much on the offensive end, but I think Mitchell showed a lot as a complimentary player on offense. And I do think that he's going to have some ability to guard once and twos at a really high level. Like he, he just moves his feet so well. So I really, I think I'm more on the positive side when it comes to Mitchell compared to like, you're saying it's a pretty polarizing guy. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think like for the Warriors at 14 would be perfect, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, but there's just like, so many guys that it's like would be a reach at seven, but you'd be happy as heck if they fell to 14. And I think he just kind of falls in that category. Do you think if his name wasn't so close to Donovan and uh, he wasn't 45, that he would even be considered a top 10 pick? It's such a horrible comp. It's like so lazy. I, it's the laziest <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my It doesn't even make sense. Like, no, I don't know how you watch it. And it, it, yeah, it does not. No. Insane. It's lazier than like Josh Giddy is Joe Ingles. I'm like, oh, oh really? Wow. Okay. Josh Giddy's another interesting one we haven't talked about, but a lot of people have been very excited about. Um the the six eight point guard. Um it's it's interesting. Um again, I, I'm not sure. Um he kind of seems like he'll probably fall into more of like a big Ricky Rubio, um yeah. which is which is interesting. Pretty, um, it's pretty mean it's pretty mean to say. I just don't, I mean, I don't know how he's, I, I don't know how you're going to essentially give him the keys to your offense. Um, yeah. I, I, I love that comp actually. Um, yeah. It's like my favorite one. I think like Kyle Anderson is kind of interesting. Yes. That's a great um, one too. But I, I actually, I mean, I, I think I have a soft spot for Giddy cause he was like my favorite tape to watch because it, it, these <laughs> it passes really are fun. just insane. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think like he's a guy that totally, is going to work well complementing other players. Like there's a lot of play finishers in the league, but not creators like, a you know, Buddy Heald. I think Marvin Bagley um, will eventually fall into that. I think of Kelly Oubre as like a really good example. Um, and I think like Giddy would make those guys a lot better. Like I think like San Antonio has a lot of play finishers like Kelton Johnson, those sort of guys, um, Lonnie Walker. And I think like he would fit really good there. I like do get really excited about the idea of him at nine, actually not going to lie, because like, I think yeah. the ball movement would just be so fun with three really high level playmakers and Luke Walton's offense really moves the ball left to right a lot. And a lot of guys get touches and opportunities. So like, I think, you know, if you're talking those three playmakers, Fox, Halliburton, Giddy, and then you're putting like Barnes and Holmes out there, Bagley Holmes, like Buddy Holmes, two play finishers that would just get set up so well by these other guys. Um, and if any of those three guys, those primaries are like given an advantageous opportunity, they're going to be smart enough to take advantage of it. So like it really, that does excite me as a fit, but I, I mean, there's still a handful of other guys I would take over him. Like if he's there at 16, I would love it. You know, if they were debating trading mm-hmm. down, but I don't think he should be given much consideration at nine, even if he's a fit that I really do enjoy the idea of. You have a soft spot for him. You have a soft spot for him, but if, yeah. if it came down to business time, you probably are still taking one of Moody or Wagner. Yeah, for sure. And I think I buy the um, the defense of Giddy more than a lot of people do because I think he's a really smart defender or a smart player in general and was mm-hmm. often in the right spot but didn't really do anything with his good positioning. And I think that's something that would be worked out with a little bit of time in the NBA. And he doesn't have good lateral speed or anything, um, but he has decent length and height to him that I don't think he's going to be attacked on the defensive end like some people do. So, 
All right. Well, um, let's transition now into the current Kings roster. Um, as last week, as there always seems to be uh, new news with our power forward center, big man, Marvin Bagley. Uh, Brandon was actually at the forefront of, of the news uh, last week, uh, posting the audio. I mean, you know, you just simply posted it to Twitter. You really set the middle the, of it. The but. King's Twitter verse on fire. <laughs> just uh, with Marvin Bagley. I mean, I don't know. I'll just say he explains why he, uh, he, ended up liking that tweet that I, I guess um, he does sent King. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, his, his explanation was it's my Twitter. It's my Twitter. I'll do what I want with it. It's got my name on it. It's mine, which I'm not entirely sure about you guys, but I definitely knew that I was not, that was not a question in my mind. <laughs> if that was Marvin, if at MB three, five was Marvin Bagley's Twitter. That was, I figured it, I figured I it was his Twitter. Explained. It helped. He confirmed it was his Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, well, he it, didn't it, get hacked. See, this is actually, see, Marvin's way ahead of the, see, he, he was expecting, he was the, the Jay Williams. When he talked yeah. Jay Williams people, effect. It was the off the screen conversation. He then brought on screen. He was clearly talking off screen about how like, Oh, like you should say you got mm-hmm. hacked, whatever, whatever. He's like, nah, I'm just going to come out and say it was mine. And that's all he said was it's mine. It's like, nah, bro, just it's fine. Yeah, and he says he says he liked the tweet after watching Trey go for 50 in the playoffs. And he's like, as a competitor, it just made me want to get to that. And I, I mean, I think that, you know, the criticism was like a little bit overblown, but I think like Bagley could have seen this coming, like not going over well, what you're saying right here. And I think that, you know, the answer that the fan base would want to hear is dang, watching my peers do be so successful and helping contribute to winning basketball is so inspiring. It makes me want to really help get my team to that point rather than being like, man, I really want to be on that team or a team that good. You know, like I think it would have rather been, I want to help a team be that good. Yes. And how, yeah. how do I get, how do I get to that point? I say I want out of the team I'm currently on and i'm gonna start stirring things up yeah it um look it's it's definitely tough for him i i, I can't imagine how the, the guy's feeling he he was drafted second overall in that loaded top five uh you look at what luca's done you look at what deandre ayton's having like a historic uh playoff run himself i think he has uh had the most double doubles in his first postseason since Shaq. uh trey young is like officially now like a star i think after this the past season Definitely. it's tough i get it and bagley i think he wants to play like a finger to point and someone to blame and that's fine but i just think that it is kind of his own fault at this point like he's doing it to him like he had an out he had a way out and, and that podcast just kind of showed me like oh he really does just, he wants nothing to do with with the organization, I think, and that's fine. I mean, I kind of think it's, it's at a point now where it might benefit both to move. But at the same time, I look at it like, I think he has talent. I think he's a, I don't think he's a bad basketball player. I think he's a bad defender. And if he can stay on the floor, he can help out a team. And I just can already see if the Kings move him for second round pick or a, a 2026 first round pick from Orlando or something, 
he's going to be a good player. It's just going to be another one of those guys that we see move on and succeed like Isaiah Thomas and, and those guys, like even like Gerald Wallace, like I'm, I'm naming Gerald Wallace, but these guys that are young that the Kings say, okay, like go ahead. I'm just wondering how you guys think. I mean, Chris, and I have talked about it already and, and Chris, yeah. can give you a, your new insight, but Brendan, how do you feel about the Marvin Bagley situation after everything that's going on? Are you still kind of let's hold firm and see what he has? Are you kind of thinking, let's see what we can get for him or, you know, just what do you think? I'm not really mad either way. And I've kind of ex- like in my mind, what's going to happen is the situation you laid out, right? They're going to trade them for little to nothing. I think like the primary return is second rounder and cap space to try to sign homes. Right. Um, and he's going to go to another team and he's going to look really good. Um, and maybe it won't be like winning numbers, right. Sort of thing. But I think he's going to put up numbers and he has a chance to be a really quality player in the league. Um, but I, I mean, at this point, I kind of like doubt it happens in Sacramento. Um, it, it seems like there's so much attached to it and, and maybe that's not the case. Like they could hold on to him. I'd be totally fine with it. Cause I think there is a chance. This is like a breakout year for Bagley, right? He's had a lot of time to get acclimated to the league. Um, we saw progress last year for sure. There was a development in that three point shot. I thought that he played within the flow of the offense better. So it's not like there hasn't been any progress, um, but it's been slowed by injuries and he was always a guy that was going to take a little while. So um, I, I'd be fine if they kept him around, but I think at this point, like I'm just kind of ready to move on um, from all the Bagley conversation and everything. And I think the fan base is like too harsh on him. You know, a, a lot of the stuff was out of his control. Like, sure. He could have said things um, a lot better. You know, he could have shut down his dad's stuff. There was uh, all the stuff we just talked about things like that. But he tweeted the other day, like just random thing. He said like, bro, with a couple emojis in the entire, I mean, this was like right after the tweet thing or the podcast. So maybe he knew what he was doing, but the comments are horrible. Like the fan base is like coming at him. So I, I see how it's difficult from Bagley's side. And I kind of think it's just, just time for both sides to move on. And I've accepted that. Like, I, I don't think he would reach whatever potential value that we're talking about um, in Sacramento at this point. So I'm kind of ready to just move on. Yeah. And, and Chris, I'll let you go in a second. Sorry, but it is cruel. And, and people are comparing him to like Greg Oden and, and Anthony Bennett. And it's like, it's, just, it's not the same. It's just not the same. And it's just, it's unfair criticism. I, I know he's been hurt a lot. It's, it's not like he has a degenerative knee thing or a, or a, or a long lasting he's, he's broken his thumb and like he broke his fourth metacarp. Like these are freak kind of strange injuries. Yeah. And I think that if, he does put together a full season. It's going to be, like you said, he won't be Trey Young or Luca or any of those guys, but he could be an 18, 17, and nine. He, he could be one of those guys, and especially if you learn to play defense even a little bit. I mean, it just goes that far. But Chris, have you, have you changed your outlook at all in the situation? Or I, I don't know. I, I've, I've kind of gotten past the what are we going to do with Marvin? I'm either whatever. I just want to know what it's going to be so I can be relieved either way. Um, my, where my thoughts go now is mainly just towards Marvin, the guy, like I, I don't, I just don't understand what he's, what his chess move is here. Like, I don't, I, I understand he feels like he needs to get into a better situation in order for his career to develop the way that he wants it to do. But I, I just don't see how this is the move that gets him to that point. I think he should view this season as, okay, this is my last season in Sacramento. 
I have the choice of going into the offseason, seeing what my value is. Granted, the, the Kings could well, I, the Kings would control him, which maybe is what he's trying to avoid. Um, but I just think in Sacramento, and it's been said, he, he'll forever have the most chances. The Kings will always want to win their bet on Marvin Bagley. Um, I, I just hope Marvin understands that once he moves on, he then loses the benefit of the doubt. He loses the fact that the organization is going to want to instantly reinsert him into the starting lineup. The second he comes back from an injury, um, it's going to affect his pockets too. I mean, if, if he signs, you know, this could just lead, we see what happened with DeMarcus cousins essentially now where it's like DeMarcus is, you know, is he where he was before? No, but now he's just on year to year contracts trying to lock down something secure and it's tough. It's tough to to get the minutes where you can prove to the organization like, no, I'm a piece that you need to keep around long term. And Marvin has that opportunity here. If he leaves and goes to a team like Orlando or or OKC or something like that, he may get that kind of opportunity. But the thing about getting traded is you really don't have any say in where you go. And, you know, the Kings could do him the favor of sending him somewhere nice. But at this point, I don't see why they owe him that courtesy. I just, I don't know. It, it, it's really puzzling for me. Um, I understand, obviously, Marvin's got a lot of his family in his ear. That is very, very clear. Um, I just, I, again, I just don't, I don't see what the vision is. Yeah, I think it's pretty funny, you know, the like go to a better team idea for things you pointed out. Like there's a good chance and it sounds funny coming for, or starting in Sacramento. There's a good chance he goes to a worse team because those are the teams that are going to give him opportunity um, and are willing to take a risk. And, you know, that's definitely the label that he holds right now. Yeah. Yeah, We, and he's kind of towing that line. He it's, he could come out this year and play 68 games and average 17 and 10 and and get a huge payday next off season, or he could play in 15 games. And he, like we talked about, he could be a guy where it could be a two year three or five million dollars it's just he's at a very crucial point in his career and i get the stress is high for him and his team um you know his representatives and everything and and yeah you want to be in the right situation and i know that i think it's pretty clear i don't know but i think it's pretty clear that they don't feel that sacramento is the right situation and maybe they're right uh but like you said the grass isn't always greener he he might have to go to a worse team and we look at those kind of stat padding numbers like DeMarcus Cousins did have in Sacramento. Uh, I think DeMarcus, DeMarcus Cousins was that player anyways. I mean, injuries kind of derailed his career, but we don't really know what type of player Marvin Bagley is yet because we haven't seen it. So that's kind of like the only tough part is, and and it's something that if the Kings were to retain Bagley and they're going to figure it out here, I'm on board with it, sure. Uh, but I just want to make sure it's the right move if they make it, not just because they're being pressured into it, uh, I hated that about how when Buddy got his new contract, he was Vladi was really pressured and pushed into doing something he didn't want to do, and now we're still suffering for it. Um, the, the the boogie deal, another thing. I mean, again, not to have Vladi catch a bunch of strays right now. Sorry, Vladi, I'll leave you alone. Uh, it's just for a while. I know. I'm sorry. Well, I'm not sorry, but it, it's just something the Kings and I know Mon, I do trust Monty will be smart with it and he'll make the right decision, but. Um, yeah, I mean it's not great right now for any for anyone for Marvin for the Kings. Uh, you have to wonder if Luke Walton wasn't the coach anymore, if this would even be a thing. Who knows? Um, but here we are. So, 
what do you guys think the chances are the team is actually like better next year? Uh, like notably, have, not, like, mean, not like two games or something, you know, like notably better. At this moment in time, I feel like they really are going to try and get a playoff roster, playoff, playoff caliber roster. If that actually in my eyes is a play, I, I, I really just don't know. I, I would say that as an organization, they are for sure, obviously going to try and be better than last season. I think they're going to on paper be better. That's what I'll say. Well, barring injury, this team should, I mean, with the talent they have right now, they're not a bad team. Like they're not, they don't have, it's not like they don't have talent. They have, a, they have talent and they have an opportunity to add more. They have the ninth pick in the draft. And I'm sure Monty's going to do some interesting things, but as far as being like a, like a playing team, there's 10 spots now. It's like, can they get in that top 10? It's tough. Cause you know, Minnesota might be a little better next year. Uh, OKC. I mean, they, mm. I don't know if, if they keep Kemba Walker, uh, I don't know if they'll even still be in the top 10. I mean, yeah, they, they should compete for a top 10 spot. Will they win like 40 plus games where I think we'll have a more general, I'll have a, I'll have a more general like opinion, like in a, about two, three weeks when, when draft night's done. Cause maybe they swing a big deal that night and you, you never know. Um, I, I think that if they keep De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Albert and Harrison Barnes, um, bring back Rashawn Holmes. Yeah. I mean, I think they could be a playing team, but man, the more I think about it, Brendan, that's a, that's a damn good question, man, <laughs> because I really do think about it. And I'm like, how, so we bring back Rashawn Holmes. That's, I assume that's going to be for a pretty hefty fee. I don't, that kind of handicaps them and what else they can add in terms of free agency. Uh, the other pieces, a lot of the Kings, other pieces are still up in the air. I mean, we were counting on Terrence Davis to still be here last or next year after the news today of him not accepting his, his qualifying offer. I don't, I don't think Terrence Davis is going to get bagged out, but there's a possibility that he makes more than the Kings are, are able to match. Um, well, that Buddy was, healed. That, if Buddy Heald's going to be on the roster next season, what's the odds that, you know, Brendan mentioned it earlier is Buddy Heald. Can you get anything positive for Buddy Heald? Or are you going to have to split that value between two to three players or two to three assets and hope that maybe just by role and situation, those players are a better fit for the team. And maybe, maybe they're not better on paper, but they're better on court. Um, I don't know, man. That's a very interesting question. And then obviously the Marvin situation at this point, I don't think, I think Marvin will be given away whether he's attached with a nine pick or attached with buddy healed or something like that. But regardless, I don't think you're going to get somebody as talented as Marvin Bagley on the roster for him. I don't know. That's interesting. I, I don't how, like that. That, that trend. How do you, uh, how do you see it, Brendan? I mean, what's your general outlook? Do you think that they're even close to being, I mean, we, we talk about playing, but like you said, will they be better? I think better in all of our minds is like a seven, eight, eight, seven, at least seed. Do you think they're knocking on that door? Do you think that this is a, it's a doable thing this off season to put themselves in a position for that next year? Realistically. I don't think like seven, eight, maybe like, I think like nine, 10 sort of thing. So and I don't think they were that far last year, you know, like I think especially with the second uh, half of the year talent, which, you know, I don't think like Terrence Davis, Mo Harkless, DeLon Ryder, high level talents or anything. They just 
we're replacing guys that probably shouldn't have been getting very many minutes on NBA rosters. Um, so I, I think like the, the swing here, and, and it's really interesting to me because I find myself questioning like how, how good does the front office think Tyrese Halliburton is going to be? Cause I think that that is what really changes how you're building this roster, right? Like if you think Halliburton is a multiple time all-star, which there were actually some flashes last year, like going into the, the draft last season when they picked him, I thought there was no chance that really happened. You know, maybe he'd like sneak into one. Um, but some of the flashes last year surprised me, you know, like the self-creation and off the dribble shooting and things like that. Um, there was a lot of variety there that really impressed me and made me question like, what is this guy's ceiling? And I think that where you have that place really changes how you build this roster. Um, so a big jump from him, uh, I think, could potentially happen next year. Um, I, I think it's hard to ask for much more production from De'Aaron Fox, but he had like 25, seven and four sort of thing. Um, I think he surely can get more efficient. You know, I, I think the big thing is knocking down his free throws. Um, so sure he can get better, but I don't know that you can ask for much more from him um, really. So I think the outlier is going to be, um, yeah, the, I mean, you have to hope that you bring Holmes back. If you don't, it's really hard to see how you're a better team because mm-hmm. that was like your one good defensive big man. Um, so a lot rides on him coming back, which doesn't seem to be the most likely thing, honestly. Um, so yeah, I mean, then Bagley is like the X factor, right? And personally, I'm not really counting on production from Bagley. And I think if it happens, cool, but I'm not really going to be counting on it. Um, and then like, if you want to target someone in the MLE, they're not really adding very many wins, mm-hmm. you know, like I think, Taylor Norton Tucker's restricted and sure I'd throw it at him, but I doubt you get it. You know, like, are you bringing back like Kent Bazemore? Do you need more center depth where you're going like Daniel Tice or Nerlens Noel? Like all those guys are good, but I don't think they're adding that many more wins. I think that um, if they decide to play competent defense and not like switch Damian Jones onto Luka Doncic and um, Damian Lillard and those kind of guys that they were closer last year than I think like some people realized at least to that nine, 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially when injuries are excuses and, and everything, and I get that. But when you look at the, the last 10 or so, 12 games of the season, they were a game a game and a half, two games out coming into that Memphis uh, two-game set. And, I mean, if you have De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton, does that change things? Maybe, maybe not. But they we did lose nine games in a row twice if, earlier. If we did, yeah, that, I honestly yeah. woke up. I woke up yesterday morning. I don't know if I had a bad dream about it or what, but it just hit me for whatever reason. We lost nine games in a row twice last year. Uh, but you, you look at those kinds of things, like somehow they were almost knocking on that door. And again, that's part of the league's, I think, thought process behind the play-in is they want teams that are bad, like the Kings and and other teams, and probably primarily the East, that are going to still be in, in the hunt for a play-in spot with you know a couple weeks left in the season. Um, yeah, uh, the Kings could be a 10-9 seed i think next year seed if you want to call it that a play-in threat uh but like you said if they lose Rashawn holmes it just it's so hard to to duplicate what he what he brought to the table i mean the kings haven't had a a center like that and i can't even remember maybe before i was born i don't know i, I don't know if paul and east was even that good at mm-hmm. <laughs> playing defense i have no idea Didn't uh well, sixty-five percent from the field and in a block and a half a game—that's that's not going to be easy to uh, to find. So, and I know we talked about Chris. You like Nerlens Noel, his game and everything, but um, you'd imagine the team like the I mean, Knicks will probably extent. try to keep him. I'm sure. I'm sure <laughs> yeah. Tibbs likes him on that roster. Um, I'm not loving him. Nerlens Noel thirty-four minutes a game. 
yeah for free agents in general it's just it's hard for the kings to attract free agent talent anyways so that brings us to overpaying and we don't have money so like mm-hmm. the the mle is great for some players but uh it's gonna be tough yeah, it's gonna be tough to get free agents so i would feel a lot different going into next season if i was confident in the coaching i uh i thought that was one of the main improvements that was going to be made this off season so it it's something i think is definitely no, it definitely is. I think hanging, it's going to be hanging over everyone's heads until it's, until it's not, it's just, I always expected it. And we talked about it when it happened that I always expected the Kings to hold on to him just because of the money. I mean, they, they've had a track record of, and again, it's, it doesn't mean it's okay because they are paying Luke Walton to be the head coach. When I don't think that the franchise is planning on him being around Pat. I just don't think it's a part of the plans. But when you pay Dave Yeager for a year or two after he was fired and you pay George Carl at the same time, I guess I can see upper management saying, you know, what, enough, we're going to ride it out and you're going to make it work. And sure, that's that's great. I'm happy that they're saving four million dollars, whatever. But uh, it, it, it's going to cause a little bit of damage. I know the players do seem to like Luke Walton. It seems like that's not really the issue. That the players like, I mean, Marvin Bagley aside, it seems like the players did back Luke and they actually enjoyed him as the head coach. That's great, but the product on the floor is the problem, as we know. And I, I can see, I think we talked about it, Brendan, with with Matt, like the, how long we thought. I th- I could see a scenario if the Kings are eight nine games under five hundred at the at the All Star break that they let them go, they cut their losses and say okay, but. I mean, if they know that, that that they're teetering on that edge right now, what, why even go into the season with them? Right, then you wasted a year. Yeah. It's kind of the point, which I also agree with. It's like, okay, well, if you if he's teetering on the edge, you know, what's another four million to a, a franchise that's valued at you know like seven eight hundred million? I don't know. But Chris, how do you feel? Um, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm not happy that they kept Luke. I think that that would have been a very easy way to add a couple wins. Um, and really start to to build on something because I don't know. I mean, this year just feels like all things are coming to a head and, you know, with the Marvin situation, um, whether that gets resolved this off season that, you know, regardless, um, I, I just think I, I don't really understand the, the thought process behind it. Um, I don't think Luke is the long-term answer and kind of, again, like, like the Marvin situation, if, what happens if the Kings do somehow, let's say best case scenario, they end up in the seven seed. Well, then you're kind of in a situation, I guess, you know, the season will play out how you, how it will. And you'll, you'll vibe it off of that. But, uh, you know, I, 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 you're in a, then in a situation with Luke Walton where it's like, okay, we haven't had a coach take us to the playoffs in 16 years. And then you have this guy, regardless of what everyone thinks of his, his ceiling as a coach, he brought us to the playoffs. It, it would be a very Kings thing for them to just then fire him. Then I don't know. I, it, it's a very lame duck decision and it really doesn't make sense at all. Um, but again, like, I mean, all, all we could really do is just hope it works out. I think the Kings struggled um, to find a real identity as a team last year. And I think it's unfortunate that their identity is probably their inconsistency and the fact that they, you know, would go on these winning streaks and then go on these massive losing streaks, um, as a team. And I think, I don't know, I, I, I think that that stems from, from the coaching. I don't, I don't know what necessarily Luke Walton's vision for this Kings roster was. 
And I, I think that kind of played out on the court at times. Twice in nine game losing streak fashion, but you know, I just, I'm sorry. I, I mean, I just can't wrap my head around that fully, but yeah, it's, it's uh, I don't, I don't think if, if you took a poll of Kings fans that say seven, eight out of 10 or, or not thrilled with Luke coming back. Um, it is what it is at this point. And like Chris said, we kind of have to hope it works out. Uh, but like you said, if it works out, is that bad? Cause they could, maybe they tack on a year to Luke and make it two more years instead of what, I don't know. It, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how they come out of the gates next season, because while we said it might be a wasted year, if they do bring him back and it's a waste of not have, having to go through a coaching search this off season when there were a lot of, there were a lot of candidates still are a lot of candidates. Um, there's a lot of jobs out there. Um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. So, but that's, that's the way it works for uh, the Kings universe. So, yeah. Uh, th- well, let's talk about uh, this morning's news real quick because that kind of dropped on us. It actually, you know, Jason Anderson reported that at like four in the morning. Uh, yeah. That was Terrence like... Davis, uh, we touched on it earlier. Terrence Davis is going to uh, reject his qualifying offer and is expecting to get $9 million per year. Um, we heard earlier Rajon Holmes say he expects to get $20 million a year. Um, whether that comes to reality is very much in question. Uh, Brendan, how do you feel about the possibility or lack thereof of Terrence Davis being back next season? Um, I think as a player that Davis was really, really valuable to the team. Um, I, I think his role is pretty replaceable. Like, I think what mm-hmm. he made me realize is they needed another guy that was just willing to come in and put up a lot of shots and really try to look for opportunities on the offensive end. Like I said earlier, I kind of thought they were too passive at times. So I think he was pretty valuable, you know, like I think a $9 million valuation is, is decent for him. Um, and that's coming from his camp, it seems like. So I would mm-hmm. guess that maybe it's a little lower unless other teams, um, kind of see some value in him, but he was just traded for like mid second rounder um, that I'm sure most teams, if they wanted to go after him could have. And then there's like the off store off, off the court stuff mm-hmm. that really is, um, you know, kind of complicates the Terrence Davis situation. So I kind of think that um, his role is, is fairly replaceable, but if you're just talking about like the valuation of his contributions, I think it's a decent number. Mm. Yeah. It's, um, Obviously, negotiations like I mean, Rashawn wants twenty. He uh, Terrence wants nine. Will they end up at that number? Maybe, maybe not. Um, probably more on the the lower side. Like you said, I I could see him like at six seven range. I mean, that's just like the general evaluation I had in mind for him. Um, that might be too much if the Kings don't make any moves. That that probably is something they can't afford. I mean, I don't know if that's a guy you want to throw the MLE at. That's probably too much money as well. Um, there's just more needs out there, especially if they draft, uh, you know, a player like, like, like Moody. Um, that's a guy you kind of slide into that bench role to, to take those minutes. If you do move on, I mean, again, you're throwing a guard out there to kind of figure it out like they did with Tyrese and Tyrese happened to just work out, you know, the best Kings rookie they've had in years. So mm-hmm. um, I like what Terrence Davis brought. I really was impressed when they brought him over. Like you said, the off the court stuff really lowered his value. Uh, he was a guy that I don't think, you know, in a, in a, in a perfect world where that doesn't happen, I don't think he would get, have gotten moved for a second round pick. Um, but he, he came over and in those games that De'Aaron and Tyrese didn't play, he played big minutes and he had a big game against San Antonio. He's 27 points that night. I remember trying to keep them in the play and race. And, um, 
over the last 10 games of the year, I, I know he averaged, I think 17 and in, in, in five rebounds a game and a steal and a half. And um, he has a hell of a motor on him. And that's something the Kings definitely needed more of. Uh, they, they didn't have kind of that spark off the bench. They kind of lacked that they really did. And um, even in DeLon Wright, when they, they picked him up, just bringing in a different change of different change of pace that they had from the Corey Joseph era uh, was nice. It was fun to watch him. Well, will the Kings bring him back. It's hard to say, probably not for that price tag, but again, it's restricted free agency. The Kings all have final say. And um, I, I just think the Kings generally should have a guy like Terrence Davis on their roster. Like you said, Brennan, to get shots up, to, to be aggressive on the offensive end. He drove the paint too, which is something that we love to see, but he healed do a little more of going into the paint, drawing fouls. Um, it, it's just something that I really enjoyed watching in a short time here. And, um, hopefully that valuation comes down a little bit so the Kings can afford them or they make a move. But, uh, if they don't, I know that there are probably a couple other options out there and especially in the draft. So. Yes, sir. Yep. We will, uh, we'll wait and see. Um, that's, that's about, uh, all that I got written down here. Do you, uh, Frank, you got any last points? Brendan, uh, sons in five, six, I think in seven. Okay. And sons in, I, I think I think this series just just took a turn though, which I'm really happy. I, I hope it did at least. I mean, I could be wrong, but I I did like what I what I saw last night. But I I agree. I think Suns take it in seven. Yeah, I, I think in seven just sounds um, a little different and more fun to me, it, more <laughs> enjoyable for sure. Even though I could see a six, like I mean, I think Milwaukee could take it in seven. Like obviously, a lot rides on this next game. But where are you at, Chris? Yeah, I really I, I still like Milwaukee's chances. I mean, you know, it's a cliche that it's not a series until the home team loses. But um, and that hasn't happened yet. Um, I think, yeah, Milwaukee wins ugly. I mean, it's just what they've done all playoffs. It doesn't look good. And, um, you know, the role players are going to play a lot better at home. Um, I, I I think. The thing that I don't like, and I've had a maybe this post or this finals is going to change it for me. I'm having a really, really tough time making getting over the hump with DeAndre Aiden. I, I love what he's production wise, what he's doing. I, you can't you just straight can't deny his production. He's been incredibly efficient, um, but relying on him if they decide to really, you know, key him out of the game, I I, I don't necessarily think. Um, the Suns can rely on on their guys as much as I believe, uh, you know, in, in Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, and I, I, I don't know. I, I think the Bucks can do it. Um, I think it'll probably be in seven, though. It'll be interesting. For Justin sure. Jackson could be an NBA champion. I just want to say that, yeah. or Kings, or Kings legend Langston Galloway. Bogdan Bogdanovich should have been there. So, Gee, oh my goodness, yeah, that would have been that. They that was the same day that they they swung the bogey, the fake bogey deal. And they had a Drew holiday uh, agreement in place. That was like just crazy. And yeah. I'm even Chris and I, I don't know how you feel about the Dante DiVincenzo deal, but I would have just loved to have him on the team last year, oh, but I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. That's just been so fun. That hurts. It really hurts every time I watch him play and he had a great season. Uh, it just, it hurts. It really does hurt. So enough pain for um, today. All right. Right. Well, Brendan, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. We'll definitely have to have you on again sometime. 
Uh, be sure to listen to the King's Polls podcast. Amazing podcast. Read everything Brendan does over at the King's Herald. Uh, Brendan, do you have any other? Am I missing out on anything? Got any other shout outs? That is it, guys. Um, All right. Awesome. Love the work you guys do. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate Thanks, it, man. man. We'll, uh, so we'll, hope we, we'll hope we talk uh, after the draft, after the Kings, you know, just have a great draft night with no drama and everything works out right. You know, that's hopefully. Yeah. Fingers crossed. All Fingers right. Crossed. For Frankie Cardicelli, Brendan Nunez, I am Chris Watkins. Thank you all so much for listening. Bye bye.